I'm, I'm thinking of all of you at the Bolingbrook campus, everybody at 95th, all those at Wheaton, those watching online, everybody here at Hobson. So good to be with you all. And back to the study of the parables of Jesus. Some folks have been telling me that they're loving the parables of Jesus more than ever before. And I would tell you, I feel that way too. This study has been so good for my heart as Jesus introduces us to grace. This concept from another world, right out of the heart of God, grace that's capable of transforming our lives. Grace changes the way you see yourself, the way you interact with God, and as we're about to learn, the way you interact with other people too. In fact, today's message is entitled, Loving by Grace, that we love others through this dynamic from God called grace. So let's learn about that, shall we? I'm really uh, excited about this week. Every year on this week, I get stoked. But do you know why? It's the start of baseball. Yes, my Cubbies, White Sox, I know some of you, I don't get it. But anyways, uh, baseball starts on Thursday, the official beginning of the Major League Baseball season. And I find this joyful, childlike excitement welling up in me every time a new season starts. And Baseball is, I love all of our sports, but baseball's my favorite. And I've sometimes asked myself, why is that? Why this silly game uh, is, is so deep in my heart? And I think the reason may be that I played baseball. You know, when you've played the game and you watch it, you just connect at a deeper level as a, as a batter is up there and cracks one out. I, I remember the feeling of that bat cracking and the vibrations of that solid hit coming right through your bones. Oh, the glory of that. I also remember, well, the agony of defeat, you know, when I just strike out, you know, with big time. And so maybe it's that point of connection with the professional athletes that enables me to love the game. Some of you are impressed. You're like, Jeff, I didn't know you played baseball. Yeah, I did. I don't want to overstate it. I did not play after college. It kind of was done then. I didn't play in college, actually. Um, <laughs> I didn't play in high school, really, if I were to be vulnerable, or junior high or elementary school. So I, at five years old, played one season of baseball. That's it. And back then, we used a piece of technology called, do you know what it is? The the T, yes, T-ball, oh yeah, that, 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 this thing is great. Why they don't use these in the big leagues, I don't know. Um, T-ball is this fantastic invention that takes away the inconvenience of having to throw the ball across the plate. I mean, why? That just makes it more difficult. Instead, let the ball be still, just looking at you and just saying, okay, ready? I'm pop. This thing was brilliant. Why they stopped using it, I don't know. Uh, and older kids, that's when I gave up, is when they said the next season we're not going to have the tea anymore. And I said, oh, I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, didn't you say you know the agony of striking out? You can't strike out in t-ball. Oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> Trust me, I whiffed more times than I care to admit. I was terrible. So now that you know, the only uh, version of baseball I ever played was t-ball, you may be troubled with my affirma affirmation that, yeah, I played ball, I played baseball. Some of you who really played baseball would say, please never say that again, Jeff. 
You do not deserve to claim to be a veteran of this game if all you played was t-ball. I think Jesus, when we come to this topic of love, had he had baseball and t-ball as a comparison, he may have used it. He may have said, you people are into loving each other. You say that you're a loving person. You're all enthusiastic about the concept of showing love. But Jesus said, I've seen you show love, and it's all t-ball. The way and the examples of love that you express is t-ball. Come on, Jesus would say. Enter the big leagues of showing love. Here, I'll show you this in a verse. This is not uh, actually the verse we're going to be looking at, but I can't help but read it. Now, Luke 6, verse 32, Jesus says, If you only love those who love you... That's not a big deal. Even godless people love the lovable. But rather, if you love your enemies, now that's impressive. Friends, isn't that true? Do you see Christ saying? He's saying, hey, I'm all about love, Jesus says. But the the typical love that we see expressed in this world, the natural love that we see expressed in this world, come on, Jesus says. It's T-ball. Let me show you, Christ says, Love of a whole nother kind. And that's what I want to learn with you. Big league love. And we're going to find this described by Christ in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Some of you are like, oh, I know that parable well. Well, I'm glad you do. I'm here to tell you that I've discovered new things in this parable in my preparation for this message, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's dive in, shall we? Before we go into the parable itself, we need to look at the context. In this series, we've often been saying, why did Jesus tell this story in this moment? What was it that was happening that made him determine that this parable was apropos? So let's find the context, shall we? The context is Jesus is involved in a discussion, maybe even a little bit of a debate, with a scholar, a Bible scholar. They're talking about the law, the Old Testament law. And Jesus essentially asks them to summarize the law, and the guy does a great job of this. The scholar says this in verse 27 of Luke 10. He answered, love the Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. Brilliant. He got it right. In fact, I think he got it right because he'd heard Jesus say the same thing. Jesus was asked in other uh, earlier events, what's the most important law ever? And Jesus has said, really, you can come down to two. Love God and love people. Friends, this is the heart of what God's all about. The mission statement of our church is to love him more. It gets at the first of those two commandments. So more love him. And uh, Christ simplified the Christian journey in this way, and this guy had heard it, understood it, and said it. But here's the question. Did he live it? And Jesus turns to him and kind of says, well, what about you? Does that reflect your life? And the guy responds in verse 29. But he, the scholar, wanted to justify himself. And so he asked Jesus, well, and who really is my neighbor anyways? (laughs) Kind of a clever strategy. He's under conviction as he looks at the second of the two commandments. And he's looking at this, do I love my neighbor? 
as myself? And rather than saying no, he turns to a technicality and he says, well, it's hard to answer because who's my neighbor anyways? And it's in this moment that Jesus says, I got a story for you. Let's read the parable of the Good Samaritan. Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from, Jeric- from Jerusalem to Jericho. Let me, let me pause. Uh, so you should know that it's down, not in the sense of south. It's down in elevation. Uh, Jerusalem's high, built on a mountain. And Jericho's low, down in the valley. And it's a 15-mile trek down a very well-traveled road. And this path would take about eight hours to travel, better part of a day. And people did it all the time in Jesus' day. So this parable is one that they could easily connect with. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving the poor guy half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when the priest saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Let me just pause. These are two really religious dudes, okay? You know, the priests, the ones who work in the temple, you can imagine they'd be viewed as religious guys. But a Levite, one of the 12 tribes of Israel was Levi, and this tribe had been decided by God to be devoted to God's service. The priests were actually a subcategory of the Levites of the highest order. So Jesus is picking two guys who should be known for their devotion to the ways of God. And yet, what do they do? Why why did they walk around? Let's try to enter the mind of a Levite or a priest here. First of all, it's gross, right? This guy's a bloodied mess. And they're like, oh, I don't want to even look at him, let alone approach him. Maybe they said, well, I'm no doctor. I mean, what would I do? I don't even know, you know, how to help him. Or maybe they, you know, pulled the pious card and said, he could be dead. And dead bodies are ceremonially unclean. And so as a uh, priest devoted to the Lord, I can't risk contamination by going. We don't know what the explanation. Maybe it was all of the above. But they did the old, I'm going to walk on this side of the road and pretend I don't see him, you know, and just kept on going. Interesting. Verse 33, but a Samaritan. You know, I need to pause again. Samaritan. So who, are, who is this guy? Who are these people? The Samaritans despised the Jews, and the Jews despised the Samaritans. They were a people group that lived a little north of Jericho and Jerusalem, and their history, interestingly enough, goes back to the Jewish people. Originally, these Samaritans who lived in this area, they were Jews, They were part of the northern tribes. The northern tribes were destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrian Empire came through and just wiped them out, killed many, took some away as prisoners, left a few. And the few that they left, those Jews intermarried with the Assyrians who had moved in. And so by this point, the Samaritans were called half-breeds. They were part Jewish, part Assyrian. 
Their religion was part Jewish, part pagan idolatry. It was this weird fusion, and so the Jews hated them because they were a perversion of the true faith. Uh, The Samaritans hated the Jews because the Jews had knocked down their temple. Let me tell you, so the Jews had a temple on the mount in Jerusalem, but the Samaritans said, you know what, you've got the wrong mountain in Samaria here. We've got a holy mountain, and we believe this is God's mountain, and they had built their temple there, boasting to have the true place of worship. Do you remember when Jesus met with a woman at the well who was a Samaritan? She brought that up. She says, you Jews say you're supposed to worship on this mountain. We've got our own mountain. Well, what really honked off the Samaritans was the Jews attacked and smashed down their temple, causing an enduring resentment in the heart of the Samaritans towards the Jews. So you couldn't have picked two groups that despised each other more. And Jesus picked that dynamic for that very reason. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, this beat-up, bloodied guy, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have had. Wow. Verse 36. Which of, Now Jesus is turning to the, the guy that had asked the question and this guy who's uh, supposedly a theologian. Which of these three, Jesus says, and by the three he means the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan. Which of these three was a neighbor, truly neighborly, to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, Well, the one who had mercy on him. He can't even say the Samaritan. You know, the the very word is so uh, offensive to him. The one who had the mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Jesus is telling him, Jesus is telling us, go and do likewise. Do love like you see it expressed in this story I've just told. Jesus is saying that this story is not Tebal. This story is big league love, and it invites us in to love others in the same way. And so let's, let's analyze this story. Let's take it apart, and let's, let's identify three truths about big league love that will serve us well. The first is what is this kind of love. The second is who should I love. And the third is how. How in the world can I do this? All right? Let's start with the what. What is big league love? And the answer that I'd like to provide is it's emotion in action. Emotion in action. That's big league love. You see that in this verse. There's 33 and 34. When the Samaritan saw the beat up guy, he took pity on him. Folks, this is a glimpse into his heart. There's emotion there. There's compassion there. Somehow, something was broken in the hearts of the priest and the Levite because they looked the other way and they felt no surge of pity, of compassion. That's not right. 
a first step is that we would desire for us to experience emotionally what's the will of God, and that's compassion. But it's not just emotion, is it? It's emotion that's turned into action. It says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds and put on oil and wine and put this guy on his donkey and brought him to an inn and cared for him all day at the inn. And the next day, he paid the money, you know, to ensure that the innkeeper would care for this guy. Uh, Friends, this is love in action. And the first thing Jesus is trying to tell us here is, listen, I'm tired of talk about love. Talk is cheap. You know, a lot of us want to say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a, are you a loving person? Yeah. yeah, I'm a loving person. You know, I love uh, folks. And, and Jesus would say, uh, let's look at your daily routine. Is your daily life marked by undeniable, distinct acts of sacrificial love? I throw in sacrificial there. Because this action should cost you something. Do you see that? As we look at the parable, it cost the Samaritan something. It cost him a bunch of things, actually. I'll just review. Uh, I think it cost him his preference. His preference that day was to have a pleasant stroll down this road and to just enjoy a walk on a beautiful day. It was not his preference to get into this tragedy. But if you really want to love somebody, you don't, you say, you know what, what I want doesn't matter. It's what you need. It's what you want. You die to your preference. You die to your time. And it would have been easy for him to say, listen, it's my time. I've got a plan today. I wanted to arrive in Jericho by a certain time. And this is going to horribly slow me down. Yeah, it took his whole day caring for this guy. Well, love is action of sacrificing time. Uh, What else did he sacrifice? Money. He paid big bucks. In fact, he promised to cover whatever the cost would be in caring for this guy's convalescence. And friends, uh, you just got to know that if you want to be someone known by love, you can do the big league love, love that doesn't cost you anything. Or you can find love that is costly, where you die to yourself in giving to another. I am terrible at this. I'm just, I feel the need to confess, lest you think I'm up here as one who's got this down. I tend to be way too selfish and look for opportunities to love that don't cost me anything, that fit into my schedule just right, that are in fact what I wanted to do all along, you know, and doesn't crimp my style at all. And my wife is so good at showing me a better way, big league love. We, we got in a fight this week about this very thing. I didn't see it at the time, but in retrospect, I realized that's what it was about. Uh, Jen has a friend whose father passed away suddenly, heart attack. And uh, the father's services were in uh, Detroit. And Jen said, I want to go to the visitation to greet and comfort my friend. And I'm like, babe, that's not a good idea. Detroit's five-hour drive. And so think about it. On five hours there, five hours back, that's 10 hours of driving. And you know how a visitation works, baby? There's a line of people, and you're in line, and you get finally to your turn, and you hug your friend, and you convey your sorrow. But there's a line of people. She can't hang out. This is like not a let's go get coffee. You're going to do 10 hours of driving to give a hug and then to go? 
I said, babe, that doesn't make sense. You know, just give her a call, write a card. She understands. And Jen said, thank you for your input, hon. I'm going. (laughs) Never dawned on me that the very goal, the objective of my wife was to convey love to this friend. And just maybe 10 hours of driving would contribute to the objective of showing love. When the friend saw the sacrifice she made, she was deeply moved by it. I would, you know, prefer to, let's find a way to show love that only takes four minutes, you know, ten hours. But that's the point. If you really want to step out of T-ball and into the big leagues of love, you've got to be on the lookout for what will cost. Lord, show me a way I can die to myself this day. Show me how I can lose. Lose my preference. Maybe it's, you know, at home, you had a way you wanted to spend this evening, but you realize your family, your spouse, they've got a different agenda, and you're like, you know what? I'm giving up what I wanted, my preference. I, I, I died to that. Or, or maybe it's your time. It's a Saturday afternoon, you know, and you had a goal in mind, but you find out about some friend in need or a neighbor in need, and you're like, oh, I could die to my time and give it to another. I think that'd be big league love. Or maybe it's your energy. You know going to coffee with this individual is going to be draining. You know what? Let it be draining. Or maybe it's your money. You know of someone who's hurting and you have the capacity to help, and though you could have spent that on you, you spend it on them. Friends, if you want, and you're like, "Eh, I think I like T-ball. No, if you want big league love, you've got to look for opportunities that are going to cost you and maybe even hurt a little. And, and you think that's hard. You wait. It gets harder. Now we got to turn to the who. Who are we to show this love to? Remember where Jesus says, listen, you love lovable people. That's not very impressive. He says, you love those who are your enemies, who you have no natural affinity towards. Now we're talking, Jesus said. And that's why he picked a Samaritan and a Jew. Do you realize this story? The reason it's a Samaritan and a Jew is because he knew they were like the most uh, hate-filled relationship imaginable. And Jesus said, let's, let's go there. And so let's put down the unlovable here. I, I looked up unlovable in the dictionary, and it says, those who are so unpleasant so as to uh, evoke no natural affection. Yeah, unlovable. And Jesus says, that's, that's what we're looking for, where there's no natural affection that will flow. There are some people who you just find so pleasant, so delightful, that you'd want to love them because it just gushes out of you. Jesus says, you can do that. That's a beautiful thing. But no, it's T-ball. If you really want to step up to the big leagues, you've got to find people who don't deserve it, who annoy you, who have wronged you, who you can't stand naturally. And Jesus is like, perfect. That's what I'm talking about. You know, I had an interesting experience this week. I went to a three-day pastor's conference. Uh, we're part of the Evangelical Free Church. That's our denomination. And there's an annual conference that involves 30 pastors in our denomination. And I've gone now five times. And I love these guys. And this has been a blessing every time I've gone. Each year I've gone. And so I was filled with a lot of excitement to go to this. And as I was driving up to the hotel where this 
conference was to take place, I had a thought, and I'm going to brag a little bit because this was so godly. I'm really proud of myself. Uh, Here was my thought. This year, it's not about me. It's about them. In the previous years, I have been so blessed by this conference. The other pastors had ministered to me, encouraged me, built into me. I just felt so blessed. I said, you know, I'm doing well. This year, I'm not looking to be blessed. I'm looking to be a blessing. I'm going to find, Lord, I'll let you lead me to the pastors who need to be loved on. And I'm going to be your agent of love. And I was so excited. And yet I walk into this hall, the lobby of the uh, hotel. And as I'm just coming in, all of a sudden I see a pastor sitting in some of the soft seats in the lobby all by himself. And, you know, the Lord's like, ta-da! And I'm like, no, not that. Some pastors can be very annoying. Do you know what I mean? And I, I even had a flash in my mind. Lord, remember this guy, the one that's so funny? He was, he'd be a good one to love. You know that one who I just love so much? He's so delightful. This, this guy is so, and he's the only one I would have said no to, Lord. And him? And I really felt in that moment, God just say, P-ball! Jeff, you love the idea of loving people until you meet them. And then the idea just doesn't seem so pleasant anymore. Jeff, come on, step up to the big leagues. Had you gone to love on those who are just so easy to love, what, what good would that have been? This is where it's at. So I came over, and I'm like, hey! And I said, can I join you? And we started talking, and sure enough, great pain came out of this guy as he started giving me an update. And by God's grace, I was able to step into that moment and I think bring some encouragement, some life, some hope to this man. And I walked away going, all right, Lord, I apologize for my affinity for T-ball. I want to step up to the big leagues more and more. And so, friends, I know this is hard, but I'll just say it. Look for those people who you can't stand, who don't deserve it at all, and find in the Lord the capacity to not only love them, but to die to yourself on their behalf. Now we're talking. Now, some of you may say, how can I do that? I mean, how in the world can I make that happen? That's the right question. And that brings us to how. How in the world can you do this? And before I go to the parable to tell how I have to share a story with you that it's a modern day reaccount of the Good Samaritan. Uh, I was just recently having coffee with a new pastor on our staff, an associate pastor, and getting to know this guy. And we got on the topic of his father in law. And he says, Jeff, you uh, won't believe what happened to my father in law. His father in law is a pastor in Chicagoland. And Uh, This pastor was at church, and a visitor who he had never met before requested a ride home. And the pastor said, sure, I'll give you a ride home. So they were in the car. They drove to the house that the visitor directed him to. And then the visitor said, Pastor, would you be willing to pray for me? The pastor was like, sure. So right there in the car, they bowed their heads. And as the pastor was praying, this visitor took out a knife undid it and slit the throat of the pastor. And suddenly this fight ensued as this pastor was struggling for his life. And as they wrestled, as the assailant was trying to kill him, 
The door was opened and they fell out of the car and they're rolling around in a pool of blood on the street. And uh, the assailant found a rock, started smashing the pastor's head with it. And uh, it looked like this guy was going to kill him when a truck pulls up and with its lights on. And the, the truck lights were enough to scare the assailant away. He took off between the houses and ran away. But like the parable, this truck carefully went around the pastor and left him lying in a puddle of his own blood. The pastor struggled to get over to the car and just laid on the horn, you know, a call for help. And eventually help came. And I love how this works. It was actually an imam. An imam is a leader in a Muslim mosque. And wouldn't you know it, just like in the parable, he came and saved the life of this pastor. This pastor, it's a, it's a miracle that his major arteries were not fully severed, and it was a long uh, healing, but he's doing great, and he's ministering today in Chicagoland fully well. The irony of this modern-day recreation of this story, though, is that we pastors, though we imagined ourselves many times in the story of the Good Samaritan, we always see ourselves as the hero and not the victim. Do you know what I mean? The pastor never dreamed uh, that I'm going to be the one in need. He always imagined, as I've always imagined, that if I encountered that parable, it would be me coming to the side of the road to help somebody. And maybe you've always thought of the parable in the same light. I see myself as the hero and not the victim. And you know what? I think we're misreading the parable with that perspective. I think Jesus intended us to see ourselves as the guy on the side of the road. And let me tell you why. This understanding came from an aspect of the parable I've always hated. It's always confused me, always bothered me. I, I understood why Jesus picked a Jew and a Samaritan. Now, that made sense because they hate each other. But if I had told the story to a Jewish audience, I would have always thought that the Samaritan should be the guy who's beat up and half dead on the side of the road. And that would make sense. You know, when the priest said, oh, a Samaritan, I won't help. And when the Levite went, oh, a Samaritan, I won't help. And then if the hero was just an ordinary Jew who came up and said, oh, it's a Samaritan, well, I'll still help. And I'm like, Jesus, you wanted your Jewish audience to help? You should have told, the, ask me next time, Jesus, and I'll tell you, you know, how to tell the story. One of the scholars that I read said Jesus had a brilliant reason for flipping the characters in that way. Had he told the story the way, I would have encouraged him to do it. And, you know, there was a Jew and he helped this Samaritan. The people, the audience, the Jewish audience would have said, no. I'm, no, I'm not helping no Samaritan. And that would have been the end of their emotional connection to the story. It would have been over, not going there. But by turning it the way that he did, where a Jewish audience would have connected with the beaten guy, it's as if Jesus was saying, imagine yourself in this story. Would you be grateful if a Samaritan, one who is known to hate you, came to your aid and saved your life? How would that feel? And you have to admit, oh, that'd be incredible. The beauty of big league love would be expressed to them imagining their connection as the victim. 
And after they, Jesus has established them, they, remember when Jesus says, who's the hero of the story? Who showed neighborly love? The, the, the scholar has to admit the Samaritan did. Jesus said, you're right, and it's beautiful. Go do likewise. What Christ is getting at is that you've got to experience receiving this kind of love before you're ready to give it. In fact, let's put that down here. You've got to receive it first. After you receive this big league love and it's overflowing your heart. That's why it says in 1 John 4.19, we love, God's kind of love, we love because he first loved us. It's through receiving his love that we like a pitcher that's filled to overflowing. We've got so much of this undeserved, grace-based, supernatural love in us that we just pour it out onto others. And you say, okay, that makes sense, but how am I to experience this love? I've never been beat up on the side of the road being loved by someone else in that way. Actually, you have. If you're a Christian, you've been beat up on the side of the road and rescued by Jesus Christ. Here, here's a, a simple verse, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love, his big league love, grace-based love. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners. Uh, sinners are his enemy, those who've rebelled against him, those he should hate. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus rescued us. His death is him sacrificing everything to save us, to heal us. And so the Good Samaritan is our story. It's just we're not the hero. We're the one needing rescue. And if you can enter into that, and if you can realize that though you and I don't deserve to be loved in this way, this is who we are. We just have this love poured into our lives from the Lord himself. The more we connect with that story, the more we are overwhelmed by the undeserved, unmerited, big league love coming our way, the more we say, Lord, I got to try to give a little bit of what you're giving me. I got to give it to someone else. I got to find a way to practice doing what I've received so much. Friends, uh, that's the key. In fact, I would say this, if you find your heart hard, as, as, as Jesus makes a challenge to find people you can't stand and sacrificially give to them, if you find yourself saying, I can't do it, that's an indication you've not received enough love from God yet. And it's not that God's not giving it, God's always pouring out his love. It's that we haven't entered into that love, basked in that love prioritized our relationship with the Lord to where it's so sweet what we got with God that our heart just has an inclination that it's never had before. And so we all know what it's like to have hardness of heart to a degree. May we press into the loving arms of the Lord so regularly that we find fullness of love in us and an inclination and capacity to love the undeserved in radical ways. Would you pray with me? God, I feel the need to repent, and I hope I'm not alone. Uh, as I look at this big league love and my own selfish inclination, I am so sorry for playing t-ball. God, I want so bad to be a man of Christ-like love for others. And I know that 
a lot of us are just begging for your grace, for failing to step up. Forgive us, Lord, and then change us. God, would you please give us opportunity, even this day, God, lead us, show us, nudge us, prompt us, push us in those directions where we can die to ourselves to love somebody we have no natural inclination to love. And may you delight in heaven when we walk in your footsteps. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.